Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. My name is Patrick Francie, and I'm the CEO and managing partner of the Real Estate Investment Network. In addition to being a business owner, I'm also a real estate investor. I'm a coach, a husband, recently a grandfather. Now, along with that, I'm also committed to stretching beyond what I've achieved by continuing to elevate in living a fulfilled life by making a positive difference in my world. I'm going to invite you to join me as I delve into the details of the many wins of my guests in achieving their goals, along with, shall we say, the frustrations of the occasional deal gone wrong, because my guests are here to help you learn by talking about what's real for them in business and investing in real estate, from the life they're now able to live to the person they become along the way as they pursued their dreams in having the freedom they've gained by building a sustainable financial future for them and their family. Good day, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to this episode of the Everyday Millionaire Podcast. Before I introduce my next guest, I want to start by thanking you, the listeners, for your feedback to this show, as well as remind and encourage you to continue to email any of your comments, ideas for the show, or any questions you may have directly to me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. And if you're inclined, I invite you to rate the show and comment on iTunes or Stitcher or whatever app or platform is working best for you, and then to join us on the Everyday Millionaire Facebook page. Your feedback is sincerely appreciated, so thank you very much for that. Now, as it is said, let's get on with the show. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by my guest, Garnet Etzel. He is the president and a founding partner of his family business, Singletree Winery, which is really the newest venture of his agriculture business. It's a part of a bigger picture, so to speak. But we'll get into that a little bit more later on. Now, my wife Stephanie and I feel really blessed that we live in the Mount Lehman community and are just a few short minutes from the Singletree Winery. It was our own interest in supporting local businesses and agriculture, and of course, the search for a great wine that led us to the Singletree Winery and of ultimately meeting Garnet and his wife, Debbie, and their family. So before we get started, I'll give you a brief background and history about Garnet and his story. He grew up in Vancouver on his family's blueberry farm, but he did move to Alberta for a time where he attended Ole's Agricultural College. And although it was berries, as he puts it, that paid for his university, the idea of farming berries didn't ever really interest him. However, to add a little bit to that, a somewhat ironical part of the story is that his wife, Debbie, is who he met working in the blueberry fields and is now the executive director of the BC Blueberry Council. So that's kind of a cool story. And another interesting part of Garnet's journey is that while berries weren't a part of his vision for farming, What that family farming experience did for him was to fire his passion and his purpose for agriculture. So combined with some encouragement from his mother and after he'd already attended college, he decided to attend university and ultimately he earned his degree in agriculture. And one of his early practical experiences after university was working a dairy farm. And it was then that Garnet realized 
he needed to expand his learning and education even further. And so he again decided to return to university where he studied and worked to gain a business degree in accounting. Now, all of this has led to more than 30 years of experience as both the CFO for an agricultural group of companies in Abbotsford, as well as investing in his early dreams of owning and operating a commercial farm business, which turned out to be a turkey farm that he purchased using capital he and his wife Debbie had generated through real estate projects that they had put together. Now, today, Garnet is a journeyman jack-of-all-trades in agriculture and business. His role with the winery involves planning and financing, administrating, and he proudly serves in his role as the chief gopher in caring for the vineyards. It's been said that a dream never dies, just the dreamer. But the good news is with this story that neither the dream nor the dreamer has passed on. And although it took many years for Garnet and his family to fulfill on living their vision of owning and operating a commercial farming business, now along with the Singletree Winery. Today, they are learning, they are stretching, they're growing, and they're living that dream. A great journey and a great story to say the very least. So without further delay, please join me as Garnet and I talk turkey about his journey of business, agriculture, and hopefully a lot about wine. Welcome, Garnet, to the Everyday Millionaire podcast, and welcome to the uh, Poolside Studio. How do you like it so far? It's amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a beautiful day out, isn't it? And uh, Poolside here, it's uh, actually a little mild, which makes it really nice and uh, not particularly hot here in the lower mainland. So once again, welcome to the show, Garnet. Yeah, thank you. So, Garnet, I always, you know, I often like to start the show with just a real quick recap. If I, you know, uh, walked up and said, hello, Garnet, you know, I'm Patrick Francie. I'm the CEO of the Real Estate Investment Network. What do you do? What would your kind of elevator pitch to that uh, question be? Yeah. Well, I'm a, a farmer by vocation, a chartered accountant by profession, and uh, I, coming up uh, in a couple of weeks, uh, I will have been married to uh, my soulmate for 40 years. Wow, 40 years. Yeah. Good for you. Congratulations, pal. And we have uh, two boys, both of whom are involved in the the business. And it's kind of the business that wraps everything together. We uh, produce uh, products and experiences that uh, we hope others enjoy. Well, you know, it's interesting is that, of course, you're basically my neighbor, and you have a winery, so guess <laughs> yeah, I got to know you very quickly through, of course, my wife Stephanie. So I was just fascinated, and as I spoke with you and your wife and uh, your, you know, uh, your sons at a couple of the different events, I was just so interested in what you've created for yourself with the winery. But you also have poultry, you have uh, turkeys. Mm-hmm. You're on sixty-seven acres. And I want to go back a little bit because your story and how this all came to be is, for me, was quite interesting, kind of fascinating, actually, because once again, you're an accountant by trade. I don't, and I don't want to minimize that, but it's Hmm. just, it's an interesting mindset that you've kind of evolved to become this, you know, significant entrepreneur. So tell me a little bit first about 
the winery? Because I'm going to start there and then I'll work backwards a little bit into some other stuff. So tell me about how the winery unfolded and how it came to be. Because number one, it's exceptionally good wine from, from my perspective. <laughs> and uh, we've uh, frequented uh, your, uh, your establishment on a number of occasions. So please share with us a little bit about how that all came to be. Mm-hmm. Well, Deb and I would never have started the winery at this stage of our lives. It's, it's a, a long-term venture, but uh, we have, two, as I said, two boys that are involved in the business. And uh, well, about 2005, uh, Nathan, uh, our hired man, had left, and uh, he was looking after the turkeys. And uh, so Nathan came and said, well, I'd like to farm with you folks. And we said, sure. Well, it so happens there's a spot available, and uh, so he got the turkeys. Very shortly after that, Andrew, our older son, came to us and said, uh, hey, I'd, I kind of want to join in as well and, and farm. So we said, well, well turkeys aren't going to support three families, so you had better figure out what you're going to do with the land base. And we were thinking, actually, of uh, going into nursery stock. And so he went to uh, UFV and got his uh, started working on his uh, Diploma in horticulture, and just for, uh, just for the listeners, uh, that's uh, UF University U- of the University Fraser, of Valley. Fraser Valley, right? US, yep. U- yeah, UFV. Yes, yep. got it. So um, he started down that course, and part of the program they had to do a practicum, and his practicum he did up at Mission Hill Winery. He fell in love with the wine business. Deb and I already liked wine. We used to travel up to the Okanagan to do the wine tours frequently, and. So uh, when he said that, it wasn't really a whole lot of arm twisting that had to happen. And fortunately, Mount Lehman Winery just down the road from us had already been established, so we knew grapes could grow in the area. And, uh, and so we sort of started down that, that path. And uh, Andrew, after he got his uh, diploma in horticulture, um, started taking a course in winemaking from the University of California. And we spent about five years just planning and exploring, you know, what would grow well in our area, how to grow them. We didn't know anything really about the, the wine business other than the courses Andrew had taken. And, uh, and then we started planting our first grapes in uh, 2010. First crop was 2013, and it's kind of grown from there. Well, you know, it's so interesting. Is So let me ask you this, because you're – what is it, a million pounds a year of turkey? Was some I saw some number like it was a big number. It was like yeah, we grow just under um, no, it's about two million. Wow! Because, uh, we, oh, you, we, you wish it was a million. No. <laughs> we uh, we produce uh, just uh, under uh, a million kilograms a year. So did you, that okay? A million kilograms. That's maybe the number that I saw. Now that's quite a shift from you know working the land and growing you know, a plant. And so did you have a background in kind of that area in terms of just growing things? Yeah. I, I should really, you almost have to go back to the beginning. Sure. Because yeah. uh, I, um, I grew up in a business oriented family. Uh, my, where did you grow up? Uh, Vancouver. In Vancouver. Yeah. I was a city boy. Okay. And, uh, and Deb was a city gal. And, uh, so, uh, my grandfather had started a construction business in Calgary, Alberta. It was called Bennett and White Construction. Mm-hmm. And uh, his sons got involved. My mom was involved in the business at the, at the start. And so 
I became kind of ingrained in this family business uh, culture. Um, when they moved the business out to BC, it was probably the, at that time, the equivalent of PCL construction. I mean, it was a big business. And uh, whenever we got together as a family, it was like a board meeting. I can remember as a kid just sitting fascinated, listening to this business discussion happening all the time. So I kind of had a, became it became ingrained in me. So your entrepreneurial spirit comes very honestly to you. It's just a way of life. Yeah. That's where you were. Absolutely. Now, two of my uncles uh, also farmed. Uh, one, uh, one just as a hobby. The other one, it was a very serious hobby. And when the business kind of dropped off, uh, he ultimately became a full-time farmer. And I used to spend summers up at his place up in Armstrong. He raised uh, purebred sheep. And uh, that was my introduction into agriculture, and I just loved it. Uh, the whole concept of resource management, uh, I think, is really what attracted me to, to agriculture. And uh, right from a fairly early age, as a young teenager, I knew what I wanted to do. I wanted to farm. Even to the point where I said to my mom, you know, I really don't need to graduate from high school. I just want to farm. Why do you need... A degree, uh, yeah, or, right, yeah. Well, or, you need an education to be a great farmer. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, uh, and uh, thank goodness she kind of uh, pushed me. Uh, no, no, it's kind of important. And uh, and so uh, when I did graduate uh, from high school, I went to Olds Agricultural College for a couple of years, and actually there really caught on to enjoying studying and thought, you know, I'd actually like to be a vet, and uh, so I. Uh, then went to UBC. How old were you been there? You would have been early 20s at that uh, time? Yeah. 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 So then I went to UBC and started working on my uh, pre-vet, uh, which was a, a degree in agriculture. And then I met Deb. And my grades all of a sudden dropped from kind of being very good to <laughs> just, <Mediocre>. barely, <laughs> just barely making it. So I blame Deb for... <laughs> For uh, the uh, fact that I never became a vet. Wives, but, anyway. <laughs> but in retrospect, it was great. Yeah, uh, of course. But, uh, uh, and so my first degree was agriculture. And uh, then uh, when I graduated, Deb and I got married. And uh, we moved out to Chilliwack because um, even though I was specializing in animal nutrition and dairy specifically, I really wanted to be a dairy farmer. And, uh, but I'd never milked a cow. <laughs> <laughs> but you wanted to be a dairy farmer. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Got it. <laughs> so, so went to uh, UCFD, uh, which was at that time, the university college of the Fraser Valley and took, they had a milker training program and I took that and then I got a job as a, a herdsman for a big dairy in, in Chilliwack and quickly realized that I was never going to earn or own a dairy farm on the back of of farm wages. Sure. And so then it was back to school because my second love was business and uh, got a, uh, at that time UBC had a program they called it a licentiate in accounting. Basically in a two year period, you did all the core courses for a, um, a degree in business. And uh, that gave me the prereqs to get onto the CA program. But just take me back a little bit, you know, back to sitting around the table with your family uh, and 
how old would you would it, how old would you have been back at that time? Oh, I, it was right from as long right as you can back the, remember, as long right? As I can remember. It's just interesting is that your commitment to being, uh, you know, to farming, to agriculture was so strong that, you know, the thought of, okay, I'm just, I don't know how to milk a cow, but I'm, I'm going to learn because I know I'm going to need to. So that's just an interesting thought process that kind of speaks to, you know, the true calling that you must have felt back at that time to really go, that's what I want to do. And when you talk about, you had mentioned uh, resource management. And, and what do you mean by resource management? Because there's lots of listeners, of course, on this that are not going to be agricultural. So for you as in the farming world, what does that mean? Well, when, when you're farming, I mean, you, you really literally do start off with almost nothing. I mean, you have all these resources, uh, uh, the water, the soil, um, you know, the seed material or plant material, um, on the turkey farm, I mean, we start off with day-old poults that are 100 grams, and in 15 weeks, we send off the farm a 15-kilogram bird. And I'm not going to, I want to go back to your second part of your education, but just to be clear around uh, the turkey farming that you do, it's also very humane. Is it, there's an, is it, is it organic? I don't recall. No, it's not organic. We did uh, produce for a while what they call specialty birds that uh, uh, don't use any medication at all. Uh, you try to keep your vaccination regime down to the minimum, but uh, it's a specialized market and we're just too big. Mm-hmm. Um, the person that we were selling to couldn't take everything that we produced. So. Wow. So, okay. So you got a kind of, you had a realization around dairy and the fact that you needed some more education, some business savvy. So you went to university. Now accounting became that kind of view of the world that you gained and said, well, I got to be able to figure out how to count my money or what was that all about? Well, no, I, I, and I guess it maybe comes back to the, the resource management aspect of it. Uh, the part of accounting that I really enjoyed was the, the planning, the budgeting, aspect of it, not necessarily the retroactive audit. In fact, I hated auditing. Um, mm-hmm. uh, and we, we really hate having audits. <laughs> <laughs> well, and now that I'm on the other side, I do too. <laughs> so, uh, okay. So sorry, can, sorry to interrupt. Continue. Yeah. So, so it was that kind of uh, prospective view uh, that I, uh, that was the part of accounting that I really enjoyed. And mm. it gave me a good grounding in, in business because you get to see a lot of different businesses when you're doing your articles and you get to see, you know, how people have been successful and where they're having problems. And, uh, so I think it was a great basis for, uh, now, while you were going to university and whether it be Oles or into BC, uh, were you working at the time with, on the farm or with, with your parents or what, where, what, your, your uncles, what was your, what was your kind of. Well, interestingly enough, that, that was my other, uh, avenue into agriculture was my folks, um, used to go out and visit the farm frequently, uh, of my uncles and, uh, they kind of thought, you know, actually it'd be kind of nice to to maybe get a piece of, of property. So they got a, bought a blueberry farm. And, uh, when I was 15, they, um, or I had the opportunity to basically manage the farm. Dad, uh, worked in construction. He wasn't part of the, 
He was part of the family company, but not on a, in an ownership capacity. He was, uh, his trade was uh, carpentry and he be, ultimately became a project manager. But, uh, so he, he worked off the farm and I got to look after the farm and, uh, and it was the blueberries that actually put me through university. Wow. So you you were getting lots of hands-on education, obviously, mm-hmm. and, and really in it, figuring stuff out. Now, aside from your folks, were you getting, where else were you getting your support at that point? And do you, did you feel at that time in your life that you were, number one, did you always feel that you were totally on the right path? No, no. I struggled as a teenager uh, trying to figure out what, what my purpose in life was going to be. And not only was our family uh, business oriented, they were quite spiritually oriented. And I say spiritual versus religious. I mean, they, it was kind of at their core. And so you kind of grew up with this uh, understanding that you weren't just here to mm-hmm. exist. You were here for a purpose. And mm-hmm. I really struggled as a, as a teenager trying to figure out what my purpose was. And uh, somehow or another, I thought that your purpose wasn't something that you necessarily enjoyed. It, <laughs> you know, and, and I had, and uh, when it finally dawned on me that, no, you could really enjoy uh, whatever your purpose was going to be, uh, that's when I kind of went, started going down the route of, uh, of agriculture. Now, your dad wasn't in the agriculture industries in the construction, and um, how did your parents support you through that time? Were they, were they questioning you? Were they pushing you? Were they just telling you whatever is good for you is good for us? How was that communication with your folks? Oh, it used to drive dad nuts because I, and I was always coming up with different ideas as to, to what I would do. And, uh, our blueberry farm happened to be on the flight path for, uh, Vancouver airport. And I saw these planes uh, flying over all the time and I thought, you know what, that'd be really cool. Mm-hmm. And, so when I, I think I was 18 or something, I went and got my pilot's license and, <laughs> and, and also even before that, I kind of thought I'd like to do that and took a whole bunch of aptitude courses that you uh, uh, quizzes that they give you in high school sure. to kind of guide you. And the things that I actually came up good on, interestingly enough, was real estate and, uh, farming. And, uh, and at that time. I really didn't want to go that route. I wanted to be an airline pilot. Right. <laughs> and so, so. So here you are learning so, your, you know, supposed strengths, but you want to go a different direction. Yeah. That's yeah. Yeah. And it, it finally ev- evolved and sorted itself out and, and farming. So I know we're jumping around a little bit yeah. here, but you, you also have some real estate background and uh, you did some, you did some real estate business at some point. Uh, what, what can you tell me about that? Mm. Well, we're probably where we're at today because of real estate. Um, Deb, uh, Deb has a bit of an affinity for being able to pick out potentially good deals. And, uh, so, uh, our, I mean, we bounced around when we were first married, I think in the first 10 years that we uh, were married, we probably moved about 14 times. I mean, it was, uh, and it, it wasn't all owned real estate. It was rentals and everything else. But when we were in Chilliwack, again, we, we really wanted to give our kids a rural lifestyle. So uh, we went looking for property and Deb happened to scout out this one in, in Chilliwack. 
and uh, it was up on Promontory Hill and 20 acres. Uh, my dad, like I say, he, he really never had hobbies. Work was everything. So yeah, he had retired at that time and we thought, well, you know, this will be, this will be good for him. We'll buy a piece of property. We'll put two houses up on it. Give dad something to do. Well, he never worked so hard in all his life. (laughs) (laughs) Well played. (laughs) But, uh, uh, so we, that was the first deal. And what happened uh, after owning it for about 10 years, um, the city took it out of the agricultural land reserve, which opened it up to real estate development. And they wanted to push a road up through our property. And so they actually expropriated it. Uh, But at that time, the market was at a, at its peak. And so the, uh, the value that we got for it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was an unbelievable windfall. It set mom and dad up for a really good retirement and, uh, and gave us the nest egg that we needed to ultimately uh, get our own farm. You know, the power of real estate and, and although that looks lucky, I mean, at the end of the, at the end of the day, you guys recognize an opportunity and you, with your entrepreneurial skills and your mindset and the background, you know, you really, I'm sure it pushed you at the time. And, uh, it, but is that the case? Was it, was it a bit of a stretch for you to wrap your mind around 20 acres and developing it to even put a couple of homes on it? Or were you pretty clear on and had what you needed to do to do that? We were pretty clear. Um, your dad being in construction was probably a really big part of that support as well. I'm, ex- I'm yeah. expecting. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was. And, um, we very early on, probably just before we had made that purchase, we decided that we ultimately wanted to have a commercial uh, farming operation and it would probably involve a couple of steps. And one was, you know, acquiring enough equity that we could buy a farm. And the other was to gain some experience, practical experience. So, um, and, and we also decided that if we didn't own a farm, a commercial operation by the time I was 45, that we would kind of abandon that route and basically take our equity and invest it in other, sure. other ways to build up a retirement fund. Now, Deb has obviously had a big impact on all the decisions. You know, I, I, there is without question, when I'm talking to guests on the show, their significant others were always a big part of support and, and making decisions, of course, as a married couple and <clears throat> being aligned, getting aligned. And did, now Deb was a big part of that. What was her background? Does she have a, a passion for real estate as well, for agriculture? Did she kind of grow with you or was it really just a, a constant support of you? Give me a little bit of Deb's background in terms of how that worked. Well, Deb uh, grew up uh, basically in a single parent family uh, in Vancouver. And uh, when we met, it was through church and, uh, it was just prior to her graduating from high school. She uh, wanted to become a teacher, actually. And uh, so uh, she started uh, going to UBC. And kind of at about that time, we decided that we would get married when I graduated. And uh, so she, um, she actually abandoned her uh, studies and went to work to build up some funds that would enable us to start a household. Also, her mom had moved down to the States and she ended up looking after her younger sister. 
and kind of took on that role. That was another reason for her uh, leaving the university. So Deb has always jumped in whenever a need arose. And she was uh, kind of a stay-at-home mom for the the first uh, probably 20, 25 years of our, our marriage. Mm-hmm. And then in 2005, the valley was hit. Uh, poultry industry was hit uh, with a devastating disease, yeah. uh, avian influenza. It, yeah. And it meant that uh, I was working at that time with a group of agricultural businesses in, uh, in Abbotsford, all poultry oriented. Um, we had the farm. And so our income ground to virtually a halt. A halt. Yeah. So she jumped in, in and got a full-time job with the Canadian Food Inspection Agency, which was kind of managing the disease outbreak at that time. And then subsequent to that, she's become quite involved in the agricultural, other parts of the agricultural industry. So, you know, when you bought that piece of property back in Chilliwack, um, you know, I often, when I'm interviewing and speaking with uh, different individuals on the show and preparation for the show and all the things that we do, I'm, I'm often seeing different forks of the road that people take and show up for them. Did you see a fork in the road back then when you bought that property in Chilliwack? Because as you say, it was kind of your lift and, and you had to choose a fork in the road. Was there a, a time where you're second guessing or thinking, do we do it or not do it? Or was it just, were you just so clear on the plan that you, you saw that it was a necessary part of what you needed to do? No, we were, we were pretty clear. That's great. But is, is that just the education background? Why were you so clear? Because, you know, you're, it's interesting at that point in your life, at that age, that you're kind of just going, you know, you have a direction. What, what, what created that? What was that for you? Well, I think part of it's on really, like we talked about earlier, understanding that there's a purpose in your life. Mm-hmm. And uh, I don't know, it sounds silly that agriculture is your purpose, but that really was my passion. And uh, so, uh, uh, because even as a teenager, instead of putting pictures of girls up on the wall, I had pictures of different breeds of cattle. I mean, it was, yeah, uh, that was our focus. And so, so you knew that this person, this piece of property, was a means to an end. Yep. Yep. Well, that's interesting. But I think that's an interesting lesson for anybody listening, for all of us, really, is that you know, when you're working backwards from a really clear outcome, you get get pretty dialed into exactly what you have to do and. Some of those decisions might be, I don't know, difficult, but ultimately you know that that serves you and that serves the direction you're going. Then you make those decisions much easier. Yeah. I mean, you know, even, even back then, uh, a lot of people that get involved in agriculture, they inherit a farm. Um, and, uh, I didn't, we didn't have that luxury. Uh, my mom and dad, yes, they had the blueberry operation, but dad, because of his, uh, earning potential, uh, really did, never had the opportunity to build up a, a good retirement fund. And so the blueberry farm was his fund. Right. And it became quite clear after they sold it that it was going to be still a pretty tight uh, retirement. And so uh, this property up in Chilliwack, like I say, it gave them the lift that they were able to really enjoy retirement. Of course, you know, when we sold that thing, I mean, we – we made in a, uh, Deb and I got in excess of a million dollars and we thought we had died and gone to heaven. Sure. I mean, we, we would never have to do anything any, anymore. Yeah. I mean, I would have to work, but yeah, uh, not, not too hard, but not, 
Wow, we quickly realized that yeah, that, of course. that is not the, not the case. But. Of course. Those are the, yeah, aren't those great slots? But that had to make you feel pretty good to be able to see that your parents got looked after for their future. How did you feel at that time, you know, when you looked at it? Oh, it was, it was great. Uh, um, you know, in, in retrospect, uh, I mean, dad very shortly after that uh, uh, kind of got what they call multi-fart dementia, very very mm. similar to Alzheimer's, and mm. so it it came at a a very opportune time in terms of setting them up to uh, and for mom to right. enable her to have a, a pretty good life. It sounds like you were pretty tight with your parents, uh, pretty close with them. Mm-hmm. Did you have siblings as well? I have uh, two sisters, mm-hmm. and you were you were asking earlier, you know, about uh, what kind of support. As I said, dad, it, I drove dad nuts with all the different changes. It was mom who, uh, I mean, she was so patient in terms of listening to all these ideas and, and maybe it came from her background with her dad because her dad, uh, he was a stonemason by trade and then started the, I think they went farming for a little while as well and then got the construction, uh, company. But, uh, yeah, she, she's kind of used to that or was used to that, always looking at different opportunities, trying to push different doors open, letting them close or open. And, uh, so she was very encouraging. So she would go more with the flow. It's like kind of that, you know, maybe that spiritual path that your family took and, yep. and universal law perhaps, and all of the things that, you know, go in, in that understanding. Now, how did that make a difference for you, for example, in how you raised Nathan and, and Andrew in what they're doing? Well, I think it grounded us, uh, with some, some values and, and probably the biggest one is, uh, is integrity. Uh, so when you say you're going to do something, you follow through and you do what you say, you're going to do do it. Yeah. Yeah. And that kind of goes along even with the planning. Like, you know, when you dream, uh, and, and you have a dream then, and you decide that you're going to pursue it. Well, then you, you You pursue pursue it. it. That, of course, is what showed up for Nathan when he kind of went the direction of let's do wine. And, you know, because that was not the that was not the originating intent, if you will. Right. Yeah. No, that was and that was Andrew. Oh, Um, Andrew. Yeah. Okay. No. And and uh, and it's interesting. Nathan has he's been part of the business and he's just done the throes of perhaps leaving it. Uh, He has decided that his passion is. is to be a fireman. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so, uh, but again, you know, I mean, it's probably, uh, using my mom and dad's example, we didn't want to hold them back. I mean, we'll yeah. encourage them to do it. So you've, you've, you know, you've got turkeys, you've got wine, you're in the world of agriculture. You've been supported by your parents over the years going on. You and Deb have got a pretty clear picture of what you're doing. You know, what is next for you? Because you've done all of this and I, you know, we talk about retirement and as I sit here with you, we're similar age. And do you have that same kind of retirement dream or what is it for you as you go forward, given what you've built and what you're, what you're up to these days? I'm not too sure that the, uh, I have a dream of retirement per se, i.e. getting out of the business and, and not doing anything, whatever that means. But I do have an urgency to get the business to the point where it's not reliant on Deb and I, um, so that, uh, Andrew and Laura, um, and 
if their kids want to be involved, so be it. But so that they can continue on and so that it's a, a sustainable uh, operation. Now, the the plan, you know, as, as you and Deb were, you know, growing up together and having children, was legacy one of those conversations that you were having with yourselves, with the kids, and what you were, what you were building? Yeah, I mean, that's part of the attraction of agriculture and uh, is that you can build something that's multi-generational. Um, yeah. On the real estate side of things, mm-hmm. because you bought the property in Chilliwack, and have you continued to invest in and acquire real estate assets, or what have you done in that regard? To some extent. Uh, we have uh, dabbled in it uh, when I left public practice, I became the CFO for a group of companies uh, here in Abbotsford. And uh, part of what they did was uh, real estate development. And uh, uh, and they would do it from time to time. It wasn't the core of their business. but uh, uh, And we got involved in a couple of, uh, of their ventures, uh, one of which was uh, very successful. The other, we were lucky to get our money out of it at right. the end of the day, and so we haven't done a we haven't done a lot. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it's perhaps something once we have our business uh, to the point where Andrew can uh, uh, look after it, and we can strip enough income out of out of it, uh, mm-hmm. we may go back into doing some of that. So. You know, I don't want to step over, you know, some of the qualities, of course, of being successful and entrepreneurship. And, and you know, when the avian flu kind of came through the Fraser Valley, I mean, there was, you know, poultry was wiped out. I mean, millions of birds had to be destroyed. And and uh, that was probably a very difficult time for you. Deb had to go back to work. Now, were you, was your farm actually affected by the avian flu or like, did you, did you lose birds to it or was it just one of the preventative things that they came and took out birds? Yeah, we were fortunate that we never got the disease on our farm, but our two neighbors who are within a kilometer of our operation both had it. And as a result, any flock that we had on the farm at that time had, wouldn't, wasn't able to go to market. They right. it took the birds off and it went to rendering basically, but, yeah. uh, but we were shut down for three months. Um, how did you, uh, how did you face the adversity at that time? You know, what was going on for you when you, cause that's a pretty unknown and, and that's, that's a big deal, you yeah. know? So how did you, how did you deal with it? What did you, what was the kind of conversations and what was your thought process behind it? Well, because it was valley wide, the banking industry was pretty supportive. So, uh, you know, loans got rolled back to interest only payments. Um, and, uh, and for some farms, uh, the banks would even, uh, you know, carry the interest until the operations got back up and running. So, and, and then, like I say, Deb really rolled up her sleeves and got a job off the farm. I was still working as the CFO for this group, but I mean, the cash flow wasn't there to, to be paid. So, Right. Now you came back from that. It was how, how long a process was it to when they, when that all happened, how, how long were you shut down for? You said about three months and then it was rebuilding inventory of birds and getting the operation back up and running. Yeah. yeah. And so through that time, 
does the community kind of rally behind you and and are you all working together in that industry how did that happen because that was such a big deal back then you know it was it was i mean it was nationwide probably north american wide news well it was it was huge and it was probably the thing that really got me involved in um agricultural industry issues i uh, i got involved uh, uh well i was already the president of the bc uh, Turkey Producers Association at that time. Uh, but then it really leapfrogged me up into national uh, farm politics. I got involved with the Canadian Federation of Agriculture really to work on policy issues because the whole emergency management at the federal level at that time, it was really quite something to, to behold. It it was almost non-existent. And and so uh, I got involved at that level to really pull the, the national industry together to support uh, what was happening in BC, but also to lobby for for better emergency preparedness at the federal level. So you, as you know, as we've been speaking here this morning and chatting, it you sound like at that time, and, and even today, by the way, but you're, you're a pretty busy guy. Do you feel, you know, when you reflect where you kind of, what was that like for you? Were you out of, did you feel like were you struggling for that life balance and and all of the things that we sometimes you know strive for but never really achieve? I mean, you you took on some pretty big stuff. You know, when I I look back over my life, I I have lived a very balanced life, but at any particular time, it's incredibly unbalanced. Mm-hmm. So it you know I'll like early on, I, I was very involved in the church, so. Um, and then I became, like we were just talking, very involved in industry uh, issues. Uh, so at any one time, I'm incredibly unbalanced. Right. And, uh, uh, and unfortunately, the family is the one that tends to suffer uh, uh, as a result of that. So were they just really patient with you? or? Yeah. <laughs> well, <laughs> well, yes, and, and Deb has been incredibly supportive and kind sure. of uh, shored up the, the shortfalls of Deb. I mean, in the short time that I've known you in the brief conversations that we've had, I mean, you seem like a pretty grounded individual and, um, you know, do you, do you find that you, do you, are you that guy that has big highs and big lows or do you just stay pretty, pretty balanced, pretty even throughout? No, I, I'm really fortunate. My dad suffered from depression, uh, a lot and, uh, and my two sisters do, uh, fortunately that kind of skipped me and, uh, and so, no, I don't have, uh, I mean, there are days, of course, where you, you feel depressed, but, uh, or kind of lacking of energy, but, <laughs> sure. but, uh, no, I, I'd say generally life has been pretty stable. Yeah. Do you have a morning routine an afternoon routine? What do you kind of, how do you look after yourself in, you know, like I, for me, I'm a, a real morning guy. I'm up at five, five thirty, and, and I do my writing or my journaling and our meditation. I have a, I do have a routine that I like. I, you know, I go out to my gym and I work out and I get some physical work done and which I do out on the, on the acreage here. But what is it for you? I wish I had a routine. I don't have a routine. You don't have a routine. Yeah. <laughs> no. And, well, and, and, and that's great. It's just interesting. Once again, yeah. you know, in the, in the, in the context of this show, it it's, you know, there's a diverse range of people that are working and, you know, entrepreneurial or career or whatever it is. And, and, and really this is about learning and sharing 
you know, insights with our listeners as to what some people do or don't do. One thing I really wish uh, I was better at was uh, sports. I've never been a sports oriented type person. Um, and that's the thing, one of the things I guess I really like about agriculture again, farming is that it tends to be a physical activity. And so that's where I get my exercise. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm like you, I, I love getting up in the morning. That's the best time of the day. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I'll often spend the, uh, the first part of the day just, uh, you know, either watching the news or listening to podcasts, um, uh, reading, um, I, I'm a, an avid believer that you, you, you should never stop learning. Uh, and, uh, so I try to get that done first thing in the morning. Now, and you are really a roll up your sleeves and do it kind of guy, right? You're as much as you delegate and, you know, kind of direct, you know, the business and the team that you have, you also really, you get your hands pretty dirty on any given day still. Yeah. I, you know, and, and, and some of that focus comes from, uh, the experience that, uh, the family went through with the construction business, uh, like I said, it was an incredibly successful business at the beginning. And then in the 1960s and uh, early 70s, it really uh, got into trouble to the point where they basically never went bankrupt, but they basically had to wind uh, big parts of it up. And uh, and it w- that started to happen when they brought in outsiders, um, non-family members. And so it, it's probably hit me at the core where if you're going... You know, we've got no aspirations of, of bringing on lots of partners and being, and, and in fact, we did have a partner at one time mm-hmm. uh, with the turkey operation and, uh, and that lasted until he really didn't want to work with the kids as we wanted to get them in, involved. So we bought them out. Mm-hmm. Now, along the way, you know, there's, especially in agriculture, I mean, there's hurdles that you face, there's challenges that you face, you know, is there, you know, the avian flu is one example of that. It was uh, a big one, but is there, is there some stuff that you've hit that has really kind of made you second guess if you want to continue doing it? Or was it, was it just, you just knew that whatever came your way, you were going to overcome? Well, like I say, and that's really the strength of some of the training that I've, I've had, particularly with respect to planning and budgeting. I mean, we do a lot of budgeting, uh, with respect to the operation and planning. I mean, it just doesn't, just doesn't happen. Uh, right. and so we're all, and it's not just an annual, uh, e- event that we sit down and, and budget. I mean, we're, every time we make a major change, we budget for it and not that the budgets always work out, but at least you've got a roadmap. Uh, you know, in the world of real estate, we often talk about, you know, of course there's always the, I think it's in any business, you know, cash is king as they say, but cash flow is and managing liquidity is a really big part of real estate because of course you've got the asset and it could be worth you know millions but if you've got no money in the bank it's not easily liquidated so that's where people will often get into trouble from your aspect you know in the in the world of agriculture is is it as important is liquidity as important or how do, how do you look at it from an accounting or through an accounting business operation point of view well, it's massively important. And, uh, you know, with the, with the Turkey operation, because it's part of the supply management, uh, system in Canada, uh, 
a lot of that is very predictable and, and assured. So it's great having that as kind of the basis for our operation because you at least know that that operation is going to generate uh, a, a consistent and positive cash flow barring things like avian influenza. But uh, on the wine side, uh, it's been a learning experience. I mean, the whole issue of building up inventory and then actually having to sell that inventory to, to generate cash flow uh, has been a has been a, a learning experience. We also had some experience with cash flow. After we sold that property, we, uh, we invested in a high-tech business, and I actually was the CFO for that, uh, that for a while. And uh, boy, that was sure. We learned the meaning of capital burn, uh, which is uh, that industry is uh, notorious for. And uh, we were very, very lucky to be able to sell our interest in that business and, again, basically get out with, with our original capital. What helps you get through that? You know, once again, when, you know, when you've got a couple of different, you know, you talked about <clears throat> another situation where you on a real estate deal and then this one in the IT world, you know, when things are hitting the fan for you, what is your, what is your kind of go-to thought process? What is it for you? How do you get through that? Well, you just realize uh, that you, you have to work through it and you take a look at the, you know, what, what the different scenarios are. And uh, Deb's been uh, really good as a sounding board in terms of, okay, so here's the situation. What do we, what do we do? Mm-hmm. Now, have you, do you have, have you had over the years, aside from your, your parents, have you had mentors or guides or mm. coaches is, you know, what have you used for resources to kind of expand on your own mental and personal professional development side of it to get through those times? I've been fortunate in terms of the people that I've, uh, I've worked with. Usually they end up being my mentors. When I got into public practice, uh, up in Chilliwack, uh, I worked uh, for a fellow by the name of Barry McKnight and the guy was, he was a brilliant accountant, but he was, he also had a, he wasn't a farmer, but he had a passion for agriculture. And, uh, um, and so he was uh, a great mentor. When I joined the uh, group of companies in, uh, in Abbotsford, it was the Friesen group of companies and Jake Friesen, who has been involved in business, uh, oh, since, uh, well, he grew up on the family farm in Abbotsford here and started his own business in 1952. And we used to go out for lunch all the time. And he was just a tremendous source of, uh, of wisdom. Would you consider yourself a relationship building kind of individual? Like I think about you going into, you know, the industry to actually change policy and at a federal level. And I mean, there's a lot of shaking hands and kissing babies that goes with that kind of a thing. Is, is, is that something that you enjoy doing? Is it something that serves as a, you know, a purpose to an end in the case of, you know, changing policy and looking at a whole industry? No, probably one of my weaknesses is relationship building. I, I am naturally an introvert. Um, that sort of stuff comes, uh, comes to me with great difficulty but it again it, you just roll up your sleeves and you you do what has to be done deb is deb is the relationship per, person in our in our uh, partnership and uh, i am so glad that she has just recently like within the last month or so uh, joined the company full-time to take on the marketing role 
once again, I, I want us to spend a little bit of time and pick your brain a little bit about what it took for you to look at, you know, the the industry after the whole avian fuel thing. Look at the policy and were you what drove you? Were you angry? Were you frustrated? Were you just like looking at it and going, these bureaucrats got to, you know, get their head out of their ass? We got, what, How was it? What drove you to, because that's a, that, you took that on. That's a, to me, that there's got to be something behind that to really take it on and own it. Because what was in it for you, really, ultimately? Well, it wasn't, uh, it wasn't anger. It, um, it was just recognizing that uh, there was a void uh, and initially it wasn't so much with government. It was actually within the industry and then trying to pull together the provincial uh, sectors and the national organizations because um, what was happening was, I mean, the industry here in BC was being devastated, but the folks back in Ottawa and Toronto, which is where the, the national organizations are, uh, are centered, there just wasn't a whole lot of communication. I mean, there was some empathy that, hey, you know, things are going sideways in BC. But you wanted, one of the things that we wanted to do was to make sure that we didn't lose the industry here in BC as a result of what was happening, which it could easily have, have happened. And so uh, I, uh, I remember pulling a meeting together with the, the uh, four national chairs and the BC industry, along with the BC government uh, and some national representation. And we had a meeting down at the Vancouver airport saying, okay, so here's the situation. Now, what can we do as, as a total Canadian industry to, to uh, work our way through this? Now, when you, you're, you know, I get that you've got some pretty pragmatic thinking based on your education and kind of how you're at. Are, are you going into those meetings, uh, are you being pretty strategic? Are you really being conscious of how you're showing up, how you're presenting? Are you really well prepared for those kind of things? Or are you kind of going by your gut? And how are you approaching those kind of, that, that particular situation? Oh, I remember uh, before we had those meetings, spending a lot of time uh, locally with the, with the provincial organizations, just trying to figure out what role we wanted the national organization to, uh, to take and, uh, and also, you know, what government, uh, uh, what role government would play. At, that was the first time that we had had such a devastating disease. And there is a provision in the uh, federal legislation. It's called the Health of Animals Act, uh, legislation. And there is a compensation component there for reportable diseases. You know, we were, we were also monitoring what the economic impact, I mean, the economic impact of that disease in 2004 or five was about $300 million to the local economy. And so, um, you know, we, we really wanted to emphasize to the federal politicians and province for that matter that, hey, you got to get a grasp of this because this isn't just the individual businesses that are suffering. This is the, this is the economy that's, uh, that's suffering. Being affected. And so, so we, yeah, we were pretty strategic in terms of what we wanted to accomplish out of those meetings. Now, were you kind of leading the charge or, you know, there's obviously others involved. Were you kind of leading the charge around it or organizing it? What was your role in that? Because once again, I, it's from my perspective, and as I see this, these are kind of, you know, I guess 
they are bits of forks in the road and their statement of character, their statement of passion and, and what is right. You know, you talk about integrity and I think that that's a culmination of all of the things that drive people to do, to take on a, I don't want to call it a bureaucracy. That might not be the correct thing to do, but it, to me, it sounds like you take on a bureaucracy and get people to understand and get people, you know, decision makers to look at it a, a from a different point of view. Well, I had a leadership role within the poultry industry. I mean, I was the, uh, at that time, I, I was a board member of the BC Agricultural Council, which is the umbrella uh, farm organization in BC. And uh, I wasn't a board member yet of the CFA, uh, but I had attended CFA meetings. And so I knew, I knew uh, people at the national level. And uh, so it, it, it fell on me to to really start to try to pull that together, but it was very much a team effort. Oh, and sure. Then, you know, those, these, those things always are, right. It yeah. takes a lot of people to do that kind yeah. of stuff. So, okay. So you did all that. You went through that adversity, that those kind of challenging times, you've made a difference in the industry, you took a change and, and now we sit in, you know, you doing the Turkey farming. Is that the right term? Turkey farming? Yep. Yeah. Okay. So then, and then you say, okay, well, you know, Andrew wants to do wine and, uh, you come to a uh, single tree winery. Now, single tree winery, once again, I've, uh, I've had the opportunity to, to drink copious, uh, you know, amounts of your wine, but tell me a little bit more about how did the, the name single tree come up? Where, where was that born from? Mm. Well, yeah, people, uh, people think a single tree is, is one tree and they uh, look at our property and of course we're surrounded by <laughs> trees. Not just so, one tree, yeah. so, uh, but, um, oops, our farm has been, uh, uh, farmed continuously, uh, since the late 1800s. And uh, at one time it was the largest fruit, uh, operation in the Fraser Valley. And uh, we have the remnants of, uh, the orchard, uh, around uh, the property. Uh, there are apple varieties that nobody really knows what variety they are, but they're really good. And, uh. So we, when we were coming up with a name, we wanted something that was reflective of the, uh, of the farming heritage, uh, and uh, single tree happens to be a piece of a farming, uh, a working horse harness, and it's the interface between the horse and whatever it's pulling. And so, we, uh, we actually got together with a marketing firm, and uh, we were exploring different possibilities. This was way before we even started planting. We, uh, we thought, Hey, we'd better start thinking about how we want to market and what we, how we want to brand ourselves. And, and that's where we kind of, uh, got the idea that we wanted to focus on family farming and the family and the heritage. And so, uh, the, uh, they came up with a bunch of, of names and one of them was single tree and how it came about was, uh, that Christine Coletta's husband, they were cleaning out the basement that weekend and he came across his grandfather's single tree. Right. And I didn't even know what a single tree was when they told us, (laughs) but it kind of twigged something onto him. And and then once we found out, uh, uh, they said, here's a name that we think would work. It's one word. It's simple, easy to remember and, and reflects what you want message you want. And, uh, they said, and by the way, if you don't use it, we will. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so we, it didn't take us very long to think about it. We said, yeah, take that name. Yeah. Well, so that's great. Now the winery is, you know, obviously it's a startup. 
you know, really, it was a startup and uh, would still, I, I suppose, would still qualify as a, a you know a, a relative startup. I guess, what are you using for skills? Now you, so, for example, you change an industry in the poultry. You've got agriculture background. You've got a business background. Where, where are you just bringing all of those skills and learning forward, and and that's what gave you the confidence to take this on and feel like you could pull it off, or or what was it for you? You know. Yeah, it, well, it, it's that, and we are really going at it quite methodically and, and slowly. Mm. Um, we, we started off planting just two acres, which is way below the economic uh, viable size. Sure. But uh, we wanted to know, first of all, do grapes grow well on our property? And then what varieties uh, will, will grow well? And even just, I mean, how do you... How do you grow them? We, sure. we really. It's kind of like, nothing. how do I milk a cow? Isn't that funny? I hadn't thought of that. But, but yeah, it's, uh, uh, and also we wanted to, once we started to produce wine, we didn't want to have a flood of inventory that we couldn't sell. We wanted to kind of grow the market as we, we grew the vineyard and, uh, and the production. So We've started off very slowly and we're, uh, in fact, we don't even have our own wine processing uh, yet. It's all done uh, uh, at a custom crush pad up in the Okanagan. We truck the grapes up that, uh, the day we pick them. Right. And Andrew has, goes up with, he takes the grapes up and then he stays at the crush pad and kind of works with the winemakers up there to, to do the crush and start the fermentation. And, uh, so that's how he's gained his practical skills because he had a certificate in winemaking, but it's all book knowledge, much sure. like what my background was when I came out of UBC with a degree in agriculture. It, uh, yeah. I still didn't really know how to farm. And uh, so we're to the point now, I mean, we're hoping for next year to actually have our own crush pad and uh, production facility built. And uh, so, but we've also grown. I mean, we've now got 12 acres uh, planted at home another acre and a half down by the airport and uh, we're um, we're to the size where it can start to support and it makes economic sense uh, because we'll be able to reduce our production costs as a result of having our own facility now do you have a do you have a kind of a a vision for what you want single tree to represent and you know how you want it to you know, where you want to place it in the market? Do you have big aspirations? You know, is it a billion dollar company or a multi hundred million dollar company? What is it? Like, do, do you look at it that way? What is, what is it that you work backwards from in terms of what you're doing with Singletree? Well, we're kind of looking at, at what our base is right now. And when we're fully planted out uh, on our current property, we'll be at uh, 30 acres of, uh, of vines. And it, could well take us another 10 years to, to be to that point. At that point, we're still a small winery. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, uh, you know, it's probably going to be Andrew's decision as at, that to, as, at that point sure. as to where he, he wants to take it. Do you see yourself always being involved in the kind of the doing this of stuff and being behind it? Well, it's interesting. You, you asked earlier about coaching and we are just in the process of hiring a a business coach to um, kind of help us through that process and get the structures in place that uh, that will enable us to make those decisions and plans. 
is Andrew a lot like you? Is he, is he pretty methodical? Is he, you know, how is he, you know, compared to, you know, mom and dad, mm. you know, in his thought process? Um, Andrew's incredibly smart. Uh, and it amazes me, uh, you know, what he's got, uh, the education that he went through, particularly on the winemaking side. I mean, he knows stuff that I haven't got a clue about. Sure. Uh, and, uh, and how he acquires it, I, I have no idea. I mean, he, he, uh, and he, he, he doesn't do a lot of reading. He does a lot of stuff on the computer, mm-hmm. internet. Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, I guess that's, you know, youthful exuberance because he's still yeah. a relatively young man. Is he yeah. mid thirties or yeah, yeah. mid thirties? Yeah. So he's got some youthful exuberance. Is he, do you think he's as passionate about wine or, you know, in, in terms of what his purpose is as you were around agriculture? Yeah, I think so. I, well, <clears throat> the kids grew up in in a farming and, sure. and rural environment, and I'd say Andrew, um, even more so than Nathan, uh, really has a passion for agriculture. Andrew has the innate ability; he can walk into the turkey barn and he knows instantly whether there's something wrong. He doesn't have to walk through it; he just, just gets knows. a sense yeah. of uh, that something's not quite right, and. Uh, and he did that even when we had the sheep up uh, uh, on that property in Chilliwack. He, as a kid, we have a video that I've seen, and I can't find it anymore, but he's uh, he's probably about six years old and uh, going out with Grandpa to uh, help feed the sheep. And uh, we we kept the, the grain sort of in a 50-gallon barrel, and Andrew, he's trucking out, hey, I'm going to go help feed the sheep. And the next thing you know is, He's falling in head first and the feet are sticking out. The you really need to find that video. So he's got, he's got the passion for agriculture. He loves it. So that's kind of in his DNA and he's, yeah. and he's hardwired for that. So when you, you know, as we sit here in the context of, you know, the everyday millionaire, you know, seemingly ordinary people, you know, achieving extraordinary results. And I know as you sit there, you don't look at it as particularly extraordinary, but, you know, certainly... The little, uh, you know, in what I've gotten to know you, this conversation here, you've done some pretty, pretty cool things. And, you know, if you're sharing with listeners and those individuals that are on their journey, you know, being in business and, you know, what, what's some insights that you would share? What's some learnings that, you know, is there some big takeaways in your life that you go, you know, if I was to tell somebody anything, or if I would have known then what I know now, this is it. Is there any of those, that guidance or advice that you could provide? Oh, I think the, the big thing that I would encourage people to do is to dream and, and dream big, but then in conjunction with that, once you've dreamt and once you've got some sense of a vision, then sit down and plan mm. how you're going to implement it. Cause it doesn't do any good just to dream. I mean, if that's all that happens, uh, nothing, yeah, you nothing gotta, materializes. You do you, and do you find that you and Deb, as you have those conversations and that glass of wine and you talk about the future and do, do you both have a tendency to be able to align and drink and dream big, if you will, <laughs> drink. drink? Yeah, we can all drink. <laughs> I, I got to tell you, I, we, Stephanie and I were in, uh, where the heck were we? Uh, I don't remember where we were, but we were, we were having, we were speaking with another winery owner and uh, he had some really cool names for his wines. And uh, I said, you know, how do you come up with these names? Cause they're really good. And he goes, well, you know, we have a, you know, a board meeting 
at creative session in the hot tub and you know after the first you know bottle of wine everybody's getting some good ideas and after the <laughs> second one this is what we produce so so in your dreams you know maybe it's, it is after the you know it's on to the second bottle of wine that dreams get really big but uh, how do you and deb uh, you know do you do you have those kind of conversations is that a kind of a staple of how you are in your relationship yeah we do and, uh, you know, but by the same token, it, it's really a challenge that we have as a family. Um, our, uh, Nathan and his wife originally lived on the farm and they moved off because they couldn't stand the constant business talk. Oh, it got tiresome that, for them. That happened. Yeah. And, uh, whereas I, I mean, I thrive on it mm-hmm. and, uh, uh, it drives the other members of the family nuts to some extent. So, yeah, uh, yeah, we do have those conversations, but uh, the challenge is how do you, you know, we were talking earlier about balance. How do you balance family and business when you all live on the same property? And uh, you know, how do you make it not all business? So do you have a? And I guess the first phase of all that would be, or the, even the first phase, but the first thing about that is the awareness that it's happening. Maybe it's getting a little mentally or emotionally challenging when you're in a family situation. You know and things get heated or do they get heated for you or or do you, you guys how do you how do you how do you fight fair amongst your family when you're working together that way well they do get heated and and they particularly get heated if somebody's not uh involved in in kind of some of the background discussions like when deb was working off the farm um it was hard to get people together to, to come to a consensus. And so what would often happen is three of us would develop the consensus and then we would inform Deb as to what the decision was, or maybe she'd find it, <laughs> or maybe she'd find out what the decision was after the piece of equipment had been bought. Sure. And, uh, and um, uh, it's been great since she's been home now, because uh, now she's involved in those uh, discussions. Those decisions. Yeah. No, are those, do you, do you find that, do you have trouble, are you guys generally on the same page or, you know, I know with, with my own team, I mean, not my family, but you know, the rain team or my, you know, my business team and rain or my pro skate team in Evanston is that, you know, things can get heated because everybody has a, a view of the world and an opinion and how they would do it or how they see it. Do you find being family, being in it as much as you are, do you align pretty quickly or? Or how is that for you in, in working family business? I mean, once again, you know, Andrew's going to have his view from a 35-year-old set of eyes. You're going to be coming from an experienced point of view, perhaps. And and so how does that, how do you find a middle ground or how do you find a consensus or do you go by consensus? Or do you have a decision maker? How does that work for you? Um, yeah, I, I tend to operate, I'm a bit of an autocrat. Um, and so... <laughs> <laughs> so, and Andrew is too. I mean, the two right. of us are very, very similar. Uh, he may not want to admit it, but uh, we're very similar. And so the result is that if we're not aligned, we, yeah, we do get into some pretty, uh, pretty contentious uh, discussions. And uh, Deb is often the mediator at the, uh, at the end of the day. And uh, uh, we'll walk away sometimes pretty upset with each other in terms of the of, uh, you know, how the discussion is going. And Deb is really good at uh, bringing us both back down to. And how about Deb? You know, because I know that, you know, like, of course, Stephanie and I have been in business together as husband and wife for 
you know, 25 years. And, um, you know, we, it's interesting that for us, we, our debates around business aren't very, are, are rarely heated. You know, we really do discuss it out and, and just, you know, have discussion around it. And, and if she has a different point of view or I have differ from hers, they're not really heated. Now, do you, uh, do you and Deb find that you get heated or it's, it's, is it really you and Andrew as, you know, father, son, you know? And then the reason I want to push this a little bit, because I, I, I happen to know that there are listeners on to this podcast that have family businesses and, you know, wives and children and all the rest of it. So it's, it's kind of cool to get a different perspective. Yeah. I wish, wish I had a, a good solution. Um, we are, we have thought from time to time of pulling together an advisory board of directors, uh, that would enable us to get some third party views. And it's probably one of the reasons that we're looking at, uh, hiring a, a business coach, uh, is so that you can bring a third party in, not so much to mediate, but just to give a different, uh, perspective. Um, I've found over time, the times I haven't listened to Deb, I usually regret the decision that's, <laughs> that's been made. Been there, done that. <laughs> made. So, uh, I mean, a notorious one was when we, when we moved from Chilliwack, um, uh, down to Abbotsford, um, I kind of unilaterally bought the house and, uh, over on Sangara and, uh, yeah, she came home and, and the house had been bought and that, that did not go over well. And she doesn't get roaringly upset. She just gets upset <laughs> and it's kind of, it's kind of no talkies for. Yeah, yeah. So for one of those, while. one of those times where you, yeah, should have maybe consulted her on that one. <laughs> uh, I, I miss, I tend to miss, you know, you, you, you hear what you want to hear. And I had heard, yes, I like the house. Right. I hadn't heard, uh. But I haven't made my mind up yet. <laughs> well, listen, you know, 40 years of message uh, or marriage, there's bound to be those uh, <laughs> disagreements along the way. So that's great. So, you know, as we wind down, you know, in this particular conversation, um, once again, you know, when you look in, you know, when you reflect back on your, all of the choices that you made in business and the direction you've gone, you seem pretty confident. Is there, is there some time, you know, is there, was there a time where you went down a path in business that you kind of, I don't want to say regret it, but you quickly realize that this is the wrong direction to go for you. Oh, I, I think I gave you that uh, IT. The IT uh, was a big example. one. Yeah. Um, I mean, and that was where I really didn't know a whole lot about the, the business. I mean, I knew the accounting side. It was a, a business my dad had invested a little bit of money in. A bunch of our friends from church had uh, had invested money in, and the thing was going sideways. And I thought there was an opportunity to to a to turn it around and uh, and an opportunity with my skill set to, to help them do so and quickly realized once i got in and kind of saw what was going on that that wasn't going to happen there was and no so there was there was there was real regret uh in terms of jumping into that but then you're in so what do you do you mm-hmm. you make the best of it and uh, fortunately we were able to find a buyer to would you, would you have looked at that now and gone, you know, just stay, you know, stay focused on what you're good at and stay focused on where your interests lie? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah I, I think so. Um, it, it was kind of right at about that time too, that that's when we decided, uh, 
I mean, we always had this dream of, of having a, being involved with a commercial farming operation, but it was just never, ever happening. And, uh, I think it was at that point where I realized, Hey, you know, you'd better quit monkeying around with uh, these things that you really don't know anything about because you're going to wipe out any retirement funds that you, uh, that you have built up. And, uh, and then, so you'd better get involved in something, you know, and that's, that's ultimately what drove us. Interestingly enough, I remember I had said that we had said that by the time I was 45, if we weren't involved, that I would, uh, we would just sit back and we would do the investing route. We got, we bought the farm two months before I turned 45. <laughs> but those are kind of cool things, right? <laughs> you know, when you look back and, you know, the power of, you know, dreaming big, having an intention, being focused on what you want your outcome to be, you know, that really, uh, no surprise that when you make decisions like that, I'm, I'm a big believer in that. And, and Stephanie and I, you know, we talk about this, we see it a lot because we do a lot of coaching, but we have our teams and all the rest is that when people make a decision, you know, really the universe does conspire to make things happen, you know, and if, and if the decision is to be, you know, indecisive, it's what happens then you live this whole reactive life. It's interesting as I listen to your, your, you know, story and, and how you got to where you are today, you, you've always seemed to, it appears as I listen to you that you're pretty pragmatic in your thinking, pretty focused, and you didn't stray off your purpose, if you will, too far. And, uh, you know, you sit here today having the, you know, the success that you've enjoyed and, and, you know, I think there's a lot of people that would look at this and go, wow, you've got your legacy set up. You're into, you know, you know, the winery, which I know it's, it's still agriculture and it's still a challenge, but you know, you're really being intentional about where you're wanting to go and you're loving what you're doing. The challenges that come with it are the challenges that come with it. You have some big dreams. I mean, those are big lessons, I think, are really important lessons for people that are, you know, listening to the show is that that focus and, and being aware of where you're going, you know, maybe other than the IT thing, you weren't really chasing money. You were really just being on top of, you know, staying true to who you wanted to be. You no, know, that's that integrity conversation. Yeah. I always like to kind of wind the rest of the show down with uh, some rapid fire questions. And they're, they're either, they're fun ones, they're easy, just meant to have a little laugh and a little chuckle, you know? So, um, what's your favorite swear word, my friend? Oh, that, that's easy. Um, uh, shit. Shit. That, that comes well, shit. Well, that's, well, that's pretty tame, dude. That's pretty what, tame. What's really, really kind of interesting with that is, uh, our kids went to MEI, which is the Mennonite Educational Institute, um, which is a, a private school, um, church-based and uh, I think one of them came off with that in the classroom one time. And the teacher says, do you live on a farm? He goes, <laughs> yes. he goes yeah. <laughs> oh, then it's okay. <laughs> if you had a, you know, if you weren't doing what you're doing and you had a dream profession, what would it be? What would you do other than what you're doing if you were? Oh, I, uh, there was a danger of me becoming a professional student uh, at one time uh, because my next degree that I wanted to pursue was law. And it wasn't so much the practice of law, it's just the intellectual um, discipline that, uh, that law involves. So that would probably be it. What would you like to hear God say when you get to the gates? Welcome home. Very good. On a scale of one to 10, how weird are you? 
Come on, Garnet. We know. <laughs> well, like I said, I'm, I'm basically an introvert, uh, so I'd probably put it way up there. Well, I mean, introverts aren't necessarily weird. They're just introverts. So, <laughs> they're, weird, they're weird. <laughs> <laughs> okay. They're weird. What are you not very good at? Like, what is one of those things that you're, you know, I, I, I know that you mentioned athleticism and before, but, you know, what are you not very good at? Well, it, it really is athletics. Uh, I just, and, and it's perhaps one of my greatest weaknesses is um, I don't like to do things that I'm not going to excel at or that will make me look foolish. Mm-hmm. And I have always, well, not always, but at one time I really wanted to learn how to play golf. But the thing that held me back from playing golf was I didn't want to look to look like a fool every time I miss oh, the so ball. You, so you have a healthy ego. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we all do, by the way. That's cool. Room, desk, or car, what do you clean first? If you looked at my office, you'd realize that the desk is not clean. And if you looked at my car, I, I, I don't clean any of them. <laughs> <laughs> I have people for that. <laughs> what's, your, uh, what's your favorite tune? Oh, you know what? I'm terrible at um, at even remembering. I have a very eclectic uh, musical taste. I grew when I was growing up. I took classical piano, so I I, I really like uh, classical music. But a tune, I don't have a favorite tune. I probably I when I listen to music to relax, I probably gravitate to uh, to classical music. What are you grateful for? Oh, uh, gosh, I am incredibly indebted and grateful for Debbie. Mm. Yeah, I get that. Well, I'm, uh, as always, so very grateful that uh, you uh, agreed and I twisted your arm. I think I think we I think I fed you copious amounts of your own wine one night and talked <laughs> you into being on the show. So I'm very grateful that you were on the show today. Well, it's been a fun experience. It's it's always, like I said, I listened to your podcasts uh, before I, we came here. And uh, so I kind of got a sense of where you were going. And it's, it's really interesting to think back in terms of what your journey has been, because uh, it, uh, at least for me, it, it forced me to really recognize the the path that we've taken and uh, yeah and just being very thankful for for that path yeah well i'm thankful to have had the opportunity to get to know you a little bit more to come because there's you know certainly more wine to drink Mm. and um you know there's a phrase a friend of mine dr paul stoltz used to use and that was so much wine so little time and so that was a wonderful <laughs> that I sometimes wander into single tree and I go, so much wine, so little. Uh, I'm going to have to remember that. We have a bunch of sayings in the, in the wine shop and I'm going to have to get Yeah, them you'll have to use that. <laughs> so anyways, well, thanks, Garnet, for your time. And it really, really has been a pleasure. So thanks and we'll, uh, we'll be catching up soon. No, thank you. Ladies and gentlemen, thank you for listening. If you found value in the podcast, please take the time to rate and review and share with others, share with your friends. As it is my goal to always improve and to provide the highest value for you, the listener, 
If you have any comments, suggestions, or questions you'd like answered, please email me at ceo at raincanada.com. That's ceo at reincanada.com. I look forward to hearing from you. And until next time, Patrick out.